Chapter Three of Captain Salt in Oz by Ruth Plumley Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, The Fire Baby. Morning found the crescent moon forging ahead with a stiff breeze, a choppy sea, and the last known island far behind her. Ahoy! This is the life, mates! Bellowed Samuel Salt bracing his legs against the pitch and roll of the vessel, and waving largely to the ship's cook who sat on an overturned bucket mending his second-best sea-shirt. "'Anything can happen now!' Lovingly Samuel let his gaze rove over the sparkling nonestic, and Atto, squinting painfully as he pushed his long needle in and out, nodded portentously. By the way, Sammy, what are your plans for this flag-planting and discovery business?" inquired the portly cook, somewhat later. Having finished his mending, he had dragged a canvas chair and a pot of potatoes aft by the wheel. Do you look for resistance and rebellion when we start taking possession of this land and that land for the crown of Oz? No, no, nothing like that, mused Samuel removing his pipe and blowing a cloud of smoke into the rigging. Everything's to be polite and peaceable this voyage. No guns, knives, or scimitars. Queen Ozma particularly does not want any country taken by force or against its will. And suppose they object to being taken at all, said Atto, beginning to pare a fat potato. What then? Well, then, uh, then— Samuel rubbed his chin reflectively. "'We'll try persuasion, my lad. We'll explain all the advantages of coming under the flag and protection of a powerful country like Oz. That ought to get them, don't you think?' "'Yes, if they don't get us first, observed Atto, popping a potato dubiously into the pot. "'Suppose, while we stand there waving flags and persuading, some of these wild fellows have at us with spears, clubs, and poison arrows. Well, that would be extremely unfortunate, admitted Samuel, glancing soberly at the compass. And in that case— I hope you will remember you were once a pirate and act accordingly. Atto blew out his cheeks sternly as he spoke. The one trouble with you, Sammy, is that you take too long to get mad. So I shall go ashore armed as usual with my kitchen-knife and blunderbuss. I don't intend to be sliced into sandwiches while you're talking through your three-cornered hat and waving flags at a lot of ignorant savages. And I'll have Roger carry the books ashore, too." "'Ho-ho!' roared the captain of the Crescent Moon, giving his knee a great slap. "'Just like old times, Atto. Rough bluff and relentless. Mates, remember?' Aye, and I should say I do, and I remember Roger had to drop a good many books on your head before you got mad enough to fight. What makes you so calm and peaceable, Sammy? A big-born fighting man like yourself. Sea life, I reckon, answered the former pirate, extending his brawny arms in a huge yawn. The sea's so much bigger than a man, mate. It rather makes him realize how small and unimportant he really is. But don't fret, Cook, dear. No one shall tread on your toes this voyage. But avast there. It grows warmer, and the air smells a bit thunderish. 
Had you noticed? Hoy! Hoy! Deck! Ahoy! bawled a shrill voice from above. Island astern! Both Samuel and Atto stared up in amazement, for Roger was supposed to be resting in the cabin. But the reed bird, after snatching an hour's nap, had slipped out an open port and unnoticed taken his position in the foremast. The reed bird did not trust Atto, who was supposed to be on watch. Besides, he wanted to be the first to report a new island to the captain. Looks like a mountain, mumbled Atto, setting down his potatoes and waddling over to the rail. Heave to, skipper. Here's our first discovery. Now how in sixes did that get by me? muttered Samuel Salt, hurrying to shorten sail for the zigzag course, back and in, he would have to take to reach the island at all. It showed plainly now, a rugged gray and purple mass of rock, with apparently no vegetation or dwelling of any kind. As the crescent moon drew nearer, the sea became smooth and oily, and the air sulfurous and hot. "'Think likely this is an island we might well pass by,' murmured Atto, peering critically through his telescope. "'Positively deserted, so far as I can see. But there might be valuable minerals in those rocks.' "'Don't doubt it,' Samuel Salt curved himself all the way round the wheel in his interest. Mechanical devices were well enough for the open sea, but Samuel preferred to handle his own ship on occasions like this. As there was no harbor or safe place to put in, he decided to anchor offshore and land in the jolly boat. The anchor had just gone, clanking and rattling over the side, when a hard hiss and boom from the center of the island made all hands look up in alarm. "'Cannons!' quavered Atto, dropping his bread-knife with a clatter. "'Stand by to man the guns!' But Samuel Salt, instead of heeding the cook's warning, began to sniff the air. "'Volcano, mates,' announced the captain calmly. "'And in that case we may be a bit close for comfort. Still, I've always wanted to observe a volcano in action. I've a theory there may be living creatures in the center.' "'Living creatures in the center?' raged Atto, tearing off his white apron and dashing it on the deck. "'How long will we be living if that fire-pot starts boiling? We mayn't be killed, being of magic birth, but we can be jolly well singed, fried, boiled, and melted. And after that, who'd care to be alive? Quick, Roger! Heave in on that chain! Anchors away!' While Samuel stood in rapt contemplation of the volcano, and Atto began frantically winding up the anchor, a long tongue of flame leaped out of the crater, and a great jet of bubbling lava shot clear over the crescent moon. This occurrence soon brought Samuel out of his reverie, and snapping into action and forgetting all about his mechanical devices, he began working like a madman to get the ship in motion tucking at the sheets, throwing his whole weight against the halyards, till the ship with quivering sail sped away like a frightened bird, the hot winds from the volcano whistling and rattling through her rigging. "'Where's Roger?' yelled Atto, staggering across the deck with two buckets of water. "'Oh, whoa! Is he a reed bird, or just plain goose? Look yonder, Sammy!' 
he's flown ashore. Outlined against the sky in a sudden flare from the volcano, they could see Roger poised over the center of the smoking island. In his claw was a large rippling banner of Oz, and as they looked he lifted the banner high above his head and flung it straight into the center of the boiling crater. We hereby take complete and absolute possession of this island, and declare all its inhabitants lawful subjects of Her Majesty Queen Ozma of Oz, screamed Roger hysterically. Well, hooray and three cheers for a real explorer, shouted Samuel Salt. He's done it all by himself, the only man among us who remembered his duty under fire. There's a bird for you, mate. Not even a volcano can turn him from his duty. All we thought of was safety. Pooh! Rubbing the back of his hand across his eyes, which were full of smoke, Samuel looked glumly across at his cook. Now, now, don't be too hard on yourself, puffed the king, setting down the fire buckets. A captain must think of his ship, even if he is an explorer. Besides, having wings gives Roger an advantage of us. Still and all it was a brave and timely act. Atto's further remarks were drowned out in a second tremendous explosion. Sky and sea turned red, whole flaming boulders shot above the ship's spars, while great sullen waves of lava boiled over the crater's edge and rolled smoking and hissing into the sea. "'Missed us again!' panted Samuel Salt hanging desperately to his wheel as the crescent moon plunged and pitched in the angry seas. Wonder what started that? The Oz flag, probably, gasped Atto, feeling around in the dense smoke for his fire buckets. Hope Roger got off safely. Where is that fool bird? Ho, Sammy! Hi, Sammy! Quick! They've hit us amidships. Hastily setting his mechanical steering gear, the former pirate rushed forward to where a glowing lump of lava was burning its way slowly but surely through the deck. "'Fire! Fire!' shrilled Roger, who had dropped down on the rail unnoticed in the smoke and confusion. "'Water, Atto! Water, you old slowpoke!' "'Avast!' puffed Samuel Salt, staring down in astonishment at the glowing lump at his feet. It's alive, mates, and lively as a grig. It's a fire, baby, that's what. Ha! Didn't I just say there was life on a volcano? Well, this proves it, and I'm taking this young one along for proof. Now stop talking like a book and act like a seaman, choked Atto, in his agitation tripping over a rope, but still managing to keep his hold on the water buckets. Fire, baby, or not? Can't you see it's burning a hole in the deck, you seventh son of a sea-going jackass? Here, put it out. Dash this water over it before it burns up the whole ship. Avast, avast, and belay, roared Samuel Salt in a terrible voice as Atto raised his bucket. I'm still captain here. Do you wish to destroy a rare specimen of volcanic life? Fetch a shovel from the hold, Roger. A shovel, I said, and don't stand there dithering. "'Aye, aye, sir,' sputtered the reed-bird, half-falling and half-flying down the companionway. Now a bird is a quick and handy fellow about a ship, and in half the time it would have taken a seaman 
Roger was back with a long-handled shovel. Snatching the shovel, which he had often used on former treasure hunts, Samuel scooped up the bawling fire-baby and started on a run for the galley. "'It's turning black! It's turning black!' wailed the disconsolate collector, crooning to the ugly infant as he ran along as if he were its own mother. "'Aye, aye, it's going out!' "'And a good thing, too,' panted Atto, who was close behind him. "'What in tarry barrels are you fixing to do with it, Sammy?' Roger, sensible bird that he was, stayed long enough to douse the two buckets of water on the smoking deck. Then he, too, made a beeline for the galley. He was just about in time to see Samuel lift the lid of the range and slide the baby down on top of the hot coals. No sooner had the squat infant touched the glowing fire than it stopped yelling at once and began to purr and sing like a tea-kettle set on to boil. "'Well, I'll be swizzled,' gulped Atto, and, snatching a wet dish-towel from the rack, he wound it round and round his aching head. Oh, "'Whatever made you think of that?' "'It's my scientific mind,' the pirate told them blandly. The proper place for any infant that size is bed, and I naturally figured that a fire-baby belonged in a fire-bed, and a bed of hot coals was the nearest to it. So here it is." Winking solemnly at Roger, who was regarding the little lava-land islander with fear and loathing, Samuel picked up the poker and gave the baby an affectionate poke. "'It'll do fine here,' he predicted happily and prove beyond a quibble that volcanoes are inhabited." "'It'll do nothing of the sort!' exploded Atto, bringing his fat fist down with a resounding thump on the drain-board. "'You may be captain of the ship, Sammy, but I'm the boss of this galley, and that fire-baby will have to go. Go! Do you understand?' How am I to cook with the ugly little monster lolling all over the fire-bed, and like as not falling into the soup when my back is turned?" "'Hark!' interrupted Roger. "'More trouble! Something's up, Master Salt, and it's not an eruption, either!' And Samuel had to agree with him, as groans, moans, shrieks, and hisses came whistling after the flying ship. "'Ah, that'll be the rest of them,' exulted the royal discoverer, pounding out on deck. Ha! It's the Lava Land Islanders themselves. Oh, this will be interesting. Well, just invite them over, and we'll all burn up happily together," suggested Atto bitterly. Hanging over the taffrail, Samuel paid no attention to the king's sarcastic suggestion. Indeed, he was much too interested, for just showing above the flaming circle of the volcano's crater was a row of immense and thunderous-looking natives. They were of transparent rock-like structure, and burned and glowed from the molten lava that coursed through their veins. With upraised arms and furious faces they were yelling over and over some strange and indistinguishable threats and phrases. One, shaking the blackened stick of the Oz flag, danced and screamed louder than all the rest put together. They do not wish to become subjects of Oz, I take it," sighed Samuel, undecided whether to sail back and argue the matter, or sail away and save his ship from possible destruction. "'That's not it! That's not it!' cried Roger, flapping his wings triumphantly. "'I know what's the matter. 
They want that baby back. You're probably making off with the crown prince of the volcano. See that woman yelling louder than the others and holding out both arms? <laughs> well, look, she has a crown on her head and is likely the queen. She wants her baby back. And she should have it, too, stated Atto, blinking his eyes at the frightful racket the Lavalander Islanders were making. You can't steal people's children like this, Sammy, unless you're going back to buccaneering. It's just plain piracy. She threw it at us, didn't she? muttered the captain, who was unwilling to part with so valuable a specimen. It probably blew out of its cradle when the volcano erupted. Give it back to her, Sammy, begged Atto, who was determined to get rid of the terrible infant at any cost. After all, she's its mother. But do you expect me to sail back there and endanger all our lives? Samuel jerked his head angrily. And how else can it be done? Er, uh, let Roger carry it back in that old wire basket we use for clams, proposed the cook eagerly. Not on your life, protested Roger in a sulky voice. The basket would grow red-hot and burn my bill. Besides, I'm no stork. Tell you what we could do, though, and we'd better be quick before they start throwing things. What? inquired the captain, gazing uneasily at the infuriated islanders. Why, simply shoot it back, Roger said calmly. Stuff it in the port cannon and blaze away. You never miss your mark, Master Salt, and if you can't shoot that baby back into its mother's arms, I'll walk on my wings and be done with it. Why, Roger, how clever! The very thing, rejoiced Atto. I'll go fetch it with the fire-tongs, and you'll have to hurry, Sammy, or we'll be out of range. But it might injure the young one, objected the captain of the Crescent Moon, shifting his feet uncomfortably. Nonsense! It'll be just like a ride in a baby carriage for that little rascal. Prime your gun, Sammy, while I get the child. By this time the clamor from the island had become so alarming that even Samuel realized something would have to be decided. So, somewhat mollified by Roger's compliment on his aim, he made ready to fire the port cannon. The baby, hissing lustily, was brought without accident from the galley. Atto held it gingerly before him, using the fire-tongs. Roger, following along to hold a lighted candle under the little fellow to keep him from going out before he was shot. The baby fitted nicely into the cannon's mouth and stopped crying instantly. At the last moment Samuel almost lost his courage, but urged on to action by both Atto and Roger. He carefully made his calculations and then, shutting both eyes, pulled the cord that set off the gun. The terrible explosion shocked the lavalanders into silence, and, almost afraid to look, Samuel opened his eyes. "'Yo-ho-ho! Ho, three cheers for the skipper!' squealed Atto, snatching the towel from his head and waving it like a banner. "'The neatest shot you ever made, mate, and a lucky shot, too!' The baby and the cannonball, which would have shattered a less durable lady, had struck the lava queen amidships. Dropping the cannonball carelessly into the crater, the giantess clasped her child in her arms, smiling and screaming her thanks across the tumbling waters. "'Well, was I right or was I right?' chuckled Roger, 
teetering backward and forward on the rail and preening his feathers self-consciously. And I've another idea just as good in case you should be interested. Oh, keep it till tomorrow, grumbled Samuel Salt, who felt terribly depressed at the loss of his rare specimen. But tomorrow will be too late, protested Roger, settling on the captain's shoulder. Now, while these savages are in a good humor, let me fly over and drop another Oz flag on the island. Maybe this time they'll let it stand, and once it flies over the crater, the island is Ozma's. By the tooth of a harpoon whale, you're right. I'm forgetting my duty to Oz, breathed Samuel, straightening up purposefully. But our kind of flag won't stand the climate yonder. The reed bird, however, had thought even of that. Taking a sheet of iron from the hold, the resourceful fellow stopped in the galley long enough to burn in the word Oz with the red-hot poker. Then, thrusting the poker itself through the two slits in his iron banner, he flew jauntily back to the island. Ahoy! And there's a standard-bearer for you! Rubbing his hands together, Samuel strode to the rail. Bless my buttons, the boy deserves a medal for this, and shall have one, too. This time the Lava Land Islanders watched Roger's approach with quiet interest, and as he hovered uncertainly over their heads, held up their hands for the iron flag. But Roger, made daring by their friendliness, swooped down suddenly to the crater's edge, and, jamming his banner between two smoking boulders, soared aloft. "'Lavalander Islanders!' screamed the reed-bird hoarsely. "'You are now under the protection and rule of Queen Ozma of Oz. "'Lavalander Islanders, you are hereby adjured to keep the peace and the law and love one another.' His voice cracked from fright and excitement, but finishing triumphantly, he spread his wings and skimmed back to the crescent moon. Hong Wong Wahee!' yelled the islanders all together, nodding their heads and waving their arms cheerfully. Hong Wong Wahee! End of chapter 3